Turn with me to Matthew chapter 9. told you um, at the end of last year that what God was laying on my heart for this year, the theme is new. Just one word, new. Because the last year has been pretty amazing, and this year has started off no different. And we've seen so much, so much of last year continue into this year. And, and it's, a, it's been a burden on my heart, not just this last year, but the last few years. I've watched the church, not just our church, but the church universal, really try to struggle, really struggle with themselves. The struggle within uh, the church. And I'll, it'll, I'll explain this as we go along a little bit more and as we get into this series. And that's where this message today is born out of. And that's where this series is, is born out of. Osvaldo and I, what I pre- one of the things I appreciate is, about Osvaldo is he has experience in the pastorate and he's not afraid to share his opinion with me. And I want to say publicly that I have no issue when he shares his opinion with me because he shares out of his wisdom. And a lot of what he would share with me really is something that I've been seeing in the church here in America. And it was very interesting to see, understand how I'm saying this, an outsider, somebody coming from the outside in to see the way the church in America is right now. Because sometimes you, be, you become not blinded, but it's just become so natural to you around you that you don't always see everything with fresh eyes. And that's what these last two weeks have been able to do for me is allow me to spend time with fresh eyes looking at where we're at and what needs to really be new. What really needs to be brought to a place of new. <clears throat> so as we go through, I'll be very honest, this is a very this is going to be a very hard-hitting message this morning. Um, next few weeks is going to be like that. And I, as I prayed, I had a real peace and a, a, an affirmation in my spirit, if you will, from, from the Holy Spirit that this is not just the message, but the tone that God wants me to share this with. And I don't want to get too far ahead. So let's just go ahead and read our text. Matthew chapter 9 is where we're going to be. In all the years that I have preached, and I think even in the times I've taught, I don't believe I've ever preached a message on the passage that we're going to be covering in this series. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14. Jesus taught a lot in parables. And a parable, the old Sunday school definition of a parable is a, a heavenly, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, right? It's an an allegory that Jesus told about real life that had a very spiritual application. And that's what this is. That's what uh, Matthew chapter 9, there are several different parables contained within this passage. And we're going to focus on just one. Matthew chapter 9, beginning of verse 14. Then John's disciples came to him saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast often, but your disciples do not fast? Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests be sad while the groom is with them? The time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one patches an old garment with unshrunk cloth, because the patch pulls away from the garment and makes the tear worse. And here's where we're going to be for the next several weeks. 
And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the skins will burst, the wine spills out, and the skins are ruined. No, they put new wine into fresh wineskins, and both are preserved. New wine into new wineskins. Now, I know instantly when you mention the word wine in a in an evangelical church, instantly people jump to one side of the issue. I don't drink. Well, can you, let's just get beyond the alcohol issue here, can we? And just see that Jesus used wine as an illustration. Can we all just agree on that and find common ground as we move through this? That Jesus used this illustration, so there's something valuable here for us. Let's not get hung up on the whole alcohol issue, all right? We are going through major cultural changes in our country, major cultural changes in our world, changes that are causing clashes and deep divisions, not only in our country and our world, but changes that are causing clashes and deep divisions in the church as well. Never before. I turned 58 last month. I've been in church all my life. And we, because of, because of my father's first career in the Navy, we traveled around a lot. I went to, my first nine years of school, I went to nine different schools. I went to three different first grades. We traveled around a lot. So I've been in a lot of different churches. And of course, when I was five years old, I didn't really examine the church polity and, and all these things. But I can remember where we were. I remember in churches, no matter what the church was, as a kid and then as an adult, there was always a sense of unity. There was always a sense of purpose, and it was united. Nowadays, I don't sense that. I'll just be real honest with you. I don't sense that. <laughs> Let me be real. See, this is where it's going to get tough. I don't sense that in the church universal, and once again, don't get caught up in the universal church versus local church. I believe you can have both. I believe the mission of the church is to be local, but I believe the body of Christ is a universal church, so we can agree on that, If I hope. And I'm not talking about across denominations. I'm talking about in the church building. I'm talking among congregations. Western Massachusetts, the Springfield metropolitan area, we are... We're like church division central. In this area, nobody wants to work together. Nobody wants to do, no churches want to do anything. It is a competition in this area. That's just a fact of life. From a pastor who has pastored in this area for almost going on 20 years, I'm telling you flat out, that's what it is. Pastors won't get involved with other churches because they're, af they're afraid to lose people like you to people like me. That's exactly what the problem is. But now it's seeped into our churches. And there, are there is division among our churches, among our people in the church. And those divides are growing wider and wider and wider. And it's, caught, it's having some very unpleasant and ugly consequences. And I'll explain as we go along. Some divides have always been there. Divides along race. I mean, <laughs> last year, you remember, those of you who are here, you remember my series on race last year, right? I have never received more hate mail in my life. I'm just laying it all out there today. 
Okay, through this year, that's the one thing that God showed me through these two weeks is that I, I cannot be afraid to share the truth, any, the, the hard truth anymore. I received hate mail and angry, ugly messages. We had to block people from Facebook, Christians. We had to block Christians. Check that. Let that sink into you. We had to block Christians from our Facebook feed because they were being so, I won't even use the political correct term, inappropriate, because they were being so nasty and ugly and ungodly in their comments about race. On our church Facebook feed, while I was preaching, division among race has always been there. There are divisions... uh, There are divisions that are generational. And we've always had generation gaps. I remember when I grew up in the 60s, I remember hearing of, that was when the the term generation gap really came out, right? We have the generation gap in in the 60s. Nowadays, the generation gap is so much deeper and so wide and so much more intense than it's ever been. There's gender gaps. And those gender, listen, listen, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to say this, and it's sad that I have to make this public statement, okay? But I'm going to say it. There are two genders in this world. That's it. Just two. And the Bible addresses men and women, and the Bible has specific roles and responsibilities for men and women. I don't really care if you like it or not. That's what the Bible says. My responsibility is to teach the truth, to preach the truth, and to stand for the truth, and to stand according to the word of God, and let the chips fall where they may. You're the one that has to answer to God for your life. I have, over the last year and a half, I have dealt with a couple different marriages, a couple different family situations that ended in divorce over gender issues, over gender roles. You know, it's easy to solve these problems by just going to the Bible. That's it. And and gentlemen, you're not called to be tyrants in your families. And women, you're not called to be slaves. But the Bible has distinct roles for men and women in life and in families and in the church. But those divides have become, we have focused more on our rights as they pertain to church than we have on what the Bible teaches. And that's just fact. And worst of all, um, in the church, now we're talking about divides in the church. Worst of all, we we have huge divides in churches, and even in our church, I'll be real honest with you, in our church, over morality. What is moral? We have huge divides. It's just a fact of the matter. Excuse me. But as boundaries are pushed on all sides, those divisions are coming more pronounced. They become deeper and they're becoming more concrete. Let me share with you some statistics. I believe uh, they'll be up on the screen as well. While while nearly 70% of pastors believe they are meaningfully engaging congregations on on issues of social responsibility... Only 30% of 18 to 35-year-olds see it that way. Now, I'm not a social crusader, and I'm not called to be a social crusader. 
That's not the role of, my, of a pastor. That's not, ro- that, that's not the role of the church, okay? The role of the church is to reach people for Jesus Christ. The social issues and the way we work among our community, those are just, those, those are just, I won't use the word tactics, but those are, are just the way we live our faith, okay? It's not our mission. Listen, folks, it's not our mission to change society. That's not our call. You won't find that in the Bible. Moral people, listen to this, get this into your heads. Moral people will die and go to hell. Morality is not what it's about. We are called to live morally once we accept Christ as our savior. And our nation is set up on moral principles, no doubt, and even biblical principles. But our calling is not to make America a wonderfully moral country. That's just not our call. Those come after a life of salvation. Zach preached it last week, preached kind of the same thing. If we are more concerned about getting people to follow our moral ethos than we are about their eternal soul, then we miss the point. And we've... We crusade and pastors get up in their pulpits and they preach about, uh, about politics when that's not, the, that's not the answer. I'll go, I'll say it again. In China, which is an incredibly repressive regime for communism, North Korea, do you realize the church is growing in North Korea? They kill you if you're a Christian in North Korea. Straight up, they kill you. I, 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 I've been to North Korea. I actually stepped across the DMZ into North Korea, scariest feeling I've ever had in my life. I was, I was only, a, I was a two feet into North Korea when I was in the army. We go up, first full, first full day in country in South Korea when I was stationed there, they take you up to the DMZ to show you what you're protecting and what you're fighting for. And when you go into the, the, main, uh, the main building at Panmunjom, which is right on the DMZ that divides North Korea and South Korea, there's literally a yellow line that goes across the entire property. And you can, in that building, there's a yellow line. It goes right through the middle of the table that they, that they do the, that they have their meetings at. And you can step over and they tell you the, the, uh, the soldier that leads the tour there tells you, you can step over into North Korea, but if they break through that door, when you're on that side of the line and grab you, there's nothing we can do. Okay. So being a knuckleheaded 19 year old in my dress greens, I stepped over the line to say that I did it. So I've been to North Korea, one foot into North Korea, that's it. I'll tell you what, I didn't stay there long because I didn't want to be grabbed by some North Korean soldier. I didn't walk up and take pictures of myself in, in uh, the North Korean chairs and stuff like that. I stepped over and crossed right back over. But in North Korea, the church is, is doing a great work. The church is growing in North Korea. So to think that we need to have the the nation and laws on our side for the gospel to be spread and for the church to grow is just not true. We're not called to be social warriors. And I know for some of you that really really annoys you. 
And I, I'm, I'm really sorry, but we can sit down and have that conversation. Yes, I believe that we should work for justice. I believe that we should lift up the oppressed. I believe that we should uh, work. I, I believe the, the Bible says that we should, we should reach out to the least of these. Quite honestly, that was one of the reasons that I was all for adopting children out of DCF, because they are the least of these. If anybody ever wants to talk to me, have the abortion adoption issue. We say, we, I'm telling you, you, you <laughs> we'll get into this in a little bit. <clears throat> don't tell me you're for life and tell me you're not willing to help out little children in DCF in foster care because those kids through no fault of their own. You realize my boys had no choice. Gabriel and Michael had no choice in the fact that they were born into a drug addicted criminal home. That's what they were born into. They were born into a drug addicted criminal home. They had no choice in that matter. So helping them out is what Jesus is talking about. But it's not just to lift them out of their situation. It's to get the, oppor to get the opportunity to reach them and others with the gospel. During the pandemic, 12% of Americans say they have attended church live in the last month. Think about that. Now that's all Americans. During the last year, it's almost been a year. Can you believe we've been in this situation for almost a year? 12% of Americans say they have attended church in the last year. One out of 10. Stunning. It gets better. 33% say they have watched church online in the last month. Just one third have watched church online. Virtual, wait a minute, Osvaldo. Virtual church is the future, right? That's what we're being told. We get emails all the time as pastors. Virtual church is the future. Virtual church is where we're going. Virtual church is where it's at. Only one third of the country is watched online. Do you get that? This is not the future. It never has been. It's not God's plan. It's a tool to reach more people. It's a tool to pe reach people who can't be here. But make no mistake, God's plan is for us to meet together live. That's his plan. The internet didn't exist when Jesus walked the earth, just so you'll know. 72% <clears throat> of Christians who normally attended church have watched church on TV. That sounds great. Seven out of 10 who normally attend church have watched church on TV. But if you put these numbers together, you realize that 30% of people who used to attend church really haven't attended church faithfully. And here's where it gets really sad. 3% of non-church attenders before the pandemic have attended church in the last month. 3%. Of everybody that did not attend church before the pandemic, only 3% have attended church in the last month. Only 2% of regular, I'm sorry, 17% of non-church attenders before the pandemic have watched online or TV, have watched church online or TV. Only 2% of regular church attenders anticipate watching more virtual church after the pandemic. What this means, if you sit down and you put all of these statistics together, what this means is that the future of the church is not virtual church. There are churches out there that have made this like the Tonight Show broadcast, man. They got people outside with microphones and they're interviewing. Hey, let's say, no lie, I'm not kidding. I'm not being trying to be funny. I'm being honest. Hey, let's check in on the worship service right now. 
Hey, let's see what's going on in the worship service right now. Don't forget to stop by the gift shop in the lobby. Get your latte when you come out. Seriously, that's what's going on right now. And if you look at the numbers, it's not helping. Because people have not been coming to church. In fact, they've been going to church less. 67% of Americans have not watched virtual church. When you put that together with the fact that 33% of America claims to be evangelical, you'll understand (laughs) that there's no outreach going on right now. See, that's the point of it all. Can we get, can we, can we grasp that? If 67% of all Americans have not watched virtual church and 33, more than 33%, but let's just give it 33% of Americans claim to be evangelical. That means the people that are watching virtual church are evangelicals already, which means we have spent, we've spent the last year with no outreach, none. We're not reaching the world for Jesus Christ. As our worship leader said this morning, Satan has got a plan and he's executing it to perfection. And let me just show you, for those of you, how many of you have ever shared a watch party from our service online? Okay, you've gone online and you've shared a watch party. I do that, we, I do that every week. That's what we, rec- that's what we try to, uh, to, sh- to share with you. Apparently, now this is, uh, I'm telling you this is what's coming. I'm just preparing you. They're starting to ban certain people in America where we're, pro, we're proud of our free speech. They're banning certain people from certain, from certain um, uh, platforms. Well, those are, those are private companies. Can I tell you something? Last night, the Los Angeles Rams pulled off the biggest trade of the offseason, one of the biggest trades in football history, okay? They traded their quarterback, Jared Goff, two first-round picks and a second-round pick to the Detroit Lions for Matthew Stafford their starting quarterback, okay? Huge trade. Trading a guy that's on the decline for a future Hall of Famer. Huge trade, of course I love it. I was on Facebook all night commenting and going back and forth with Rams fans about it because that's just the kind of geek I am when it comes to that stuff. Can I tell you, Ben, can I tell you where that story was broken? Not on CNN, not even on ESPN. That story was broken on Twitter. Tell me again, that these are not news sites. They are. They break news on Twitter. Not just sports news, national news. But they say that they can block anybody. You know what's gonna happen? I say all that to say this, not to go on a rant. I say all that to say this. They are calling what we preach hate speech. Do you understand that? When we preach against it, in Massachusetts, they tried to label preaching hate speech when a pastor preaches on sin, especially certain kinds of sin. They're going to label preaching hate speech and take us off social media platforms. There goes virtual church. It's already begun. Did you know that Zach told me, and we'll verify this, but Facebook has already taken away watch parties. No more watch parties. So it begins. No more watch parties. That was one of the ways we spread. When we had 1,700 people watching our service on Sunday, it was through watch parties. They've taken that away. It's begun. 
50% of millennial Christians, that's 38 years old and under, have not participated in church during the pandemic. 50%. Half of every American Christian under the age of 38 has not participated in church at all during the pandemic. At all. 35% of Gen X which is 39 to 54. I'm not even a Gen Xer, man. I'm too old to be a Gen Xer. Any other baby boomers? No, Risa, we're the only ones. Oh my gosh. I used to be proud of to be a baby boomer. Now they, when I say I'm a baby boomer, they start bringing the ambulance to take me to the home. Yeah, I'm a boomer. Yeah, get in the, come here. We've got, we've got candy. Seriously. Man. The idea that Jesus brings to our attention in our text about new wineskins is very interesting. Very interesting. Especially in the inference that we should become like new wineskins when we choose to follow him. I apologize for the glasses. For some reason, my eyes aren't working right this morning and I can't really see my, my notes. In the fermentation process of wine, gases are released and the wine expands. Right? The wine expands and thereby it expands the container that it's in or it expands into the container that it is in. In ancient times, and what Jesus is talking about in this passage is the fact that in ancient times they used to use animal skins to make wineskin. That's where they got the term wineskin from. They would take, uh, usually it was goat. Goat was the preferred, I don't know whether goat skin is more, is more uh, pliable and expandable um, or elastic, I don't know. But they would normally use goat skin and they would make a container to contain the, the wine and they would pour wine in but they wouldn't fill it up because they knew that during the fermentation process, gases were released as the, the bacteria in the, from the grape juice started consuming the sugar and released gases and caused that to expand. And as it expanded, the wine skid would expand with it. Now, what Jesus was saying is, if you're making new wine, you don't get an old wine skin. Because that old wineskin has already been stretched out. And if you use a wineskin too many times for wine, then it will burst because it won't be able to stretch anymore. So in order to have the most effective, most efficient, the, the most safety and not losing what you have created here, you need to use new wineskin every time you make wine. Because those new wineskins are fresh, and they're flexible, and they're expandable. Putting new wineskins, putting new wine into old wineskins will result in the loss of both. That's, that's the point that Jesus is trying to make. Putting new wine into an old wineskin will result in the loss of both the wineskin and the wine. And that's not what we want. 
Jesus used this analogy to explain the reason why we must be willing to change from our old ways once we accept Jesus as our Savior. The new ways of Jesus will cause us to grow and expand beyond the capacity of our old nature. The new ways of Jesus, you understand this, the new ways of Jesus are are designed specifically to cause us as human beings to grow in our spirit beyond the capacity of our old man. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things are become new. But yet we have this, we have this thought process in America now, in American churches, that you can accept Jesus and just go along your merry way the same way you are. That's why we have smoke machines and light shows and dance parties on Sunday morning instead of solemn, holy worship to God. Seriously, man, we want to be, we want to be able to hang on to the world because we think that's, here's the kicker. We think that's what attracts people, Lewis. Well, why not just have Britney Spears come up here and give it, is she still popular? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. How about Lady Gaga? Maybe is she, right? Yeah. She, hey, tell me at the inauguration, did she not look like Effie from uh, from the Hunger Games with that, seriously, that big, br- I'm just kidding. <laughs> it's like, why not? But seriously, man, if, you want, if all you want to do is draw a crowd and be popular, then why do it our way? Why don't, why don't we just go whole hog and, and just invite anybody in here to, to lead worship? That's what we're coming to. Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm not putting my new wine into your old wineskin. I'm not taking the risk. I'm making you new. I'm putting my new wine into your new person. That way, that new wine is going to grow and expand. That new wine is going to stretch you if you are allowing it to stretch you. The problem with many Christians is we're not allowing Jesus to pour new wine into us. You see, we're not allowing Jesus to pour new wine. That's why we're finishing up our fast today. Can I get an amen from the congregation? We are having pizza and french fries for lunch today. I have had, I have had tomato soup every day for the last two weeks and, uh, and instant breakfast. Um, I'm thankful for it, but I'm going to indulge for one meal and then hit it right back with a new eating plan tomorrow. Uh, but... Um, The whole purpose of these two weeks was to help us to reset, to open us up to the to the possibility of allowing Jesus to pour new wine into who we are, to pour new wine into our into our new wineskins. That's why we read Romans together, because Romans is full of new wine. Romans is full of new wine, man. And we allow Jesus to pour into us and we expand and we grow. And his new wineskin that he has given to us at salvation expands and grows with it. And we're able to hold more and more and more and more. And as we are poured out, he can pour in and will continue to grow. What Jesus did was start brand new. He knew that putting this new life that he had given us into our old ways would result in dysfunction. You understand that, right? 
If you let Jesus, if you desire, if you will not allow him to make you, if you will not accept the new wineskin for your life, and you insist on Jesus pouring his old wine, his new wine into your old wineskin, it will result in spiritual dysfunction. You cannot be the one in control of your life as a Christian. That's what this is all going to be about. You cannot be the one calling the shots. Well, I'm autonomous. I'm a human being. Sure, no doubt. How's that working for you? (laughs) How's that working for the rest of us? How are we doing? This world, pardon the language, this world's going to hell in a handbasket, man. And it's on the express train right now. And Christians, we're pouring, <laughs> we're pouring coal onto the fire. Because all we want to do is fight about our rights. All we want to do is fight about who's president. All we want to do is fight about this stuff. We don't want to see that Jesus said, try to get along with everybody, not to give them their way, but so that you'll have the opportunity to reach them with the gospel. It's not always about needing to fix a broken system or group. The fact is that sometimes we simply need to start over and build something better, something more functional that will better meet the needs of those we're trying to reach. I'm not going to dance around it. We're going to change some things. We've got to change some things. We've got to, we've got to invent, reinvent some, some areas of, of our church. We've got to reinvent some areas of our life. Because drastic change demands a drastic response. And what this last year has been is a drastic change. If you don't think we've got our hands full coming up when, it, when all of this is over, to try to build the church back, to try to start reaching out again to a, to a, to a group of people who have become reliant on the government for everything. You understand that's what's happened. I'm not against helping out and things like that, but people have become reliant on their government, which is exactly what some people want. It's exactly what Satan wants because we're no longer relying on God to meet our needs. We're relying on uh, uncle Sam to open up his wallet because, because they say it's them giving us money when really it's our taxes that are coming back to us. You you understand the government doesn't, the government doesn't, the government doesn't manufacture anything. The government they're funded by us, okay? So, you know, they're not benevolent in, in their wonderful philanthropy. They're just opening up. Anyway, I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> the beauty of it, though, is that we don't have to go back to the beginning to start over. We don't have to go back to the beginning. I'll use that Rams analogy. The Rams are not going to scrap everything and start all over from the very beginning now that they've got a new quarterback. They know a lot. They have a good system in place. They have a great playbook in place. It's going to be on Matthew Stafford, the new quarterback, to learn the system. They're not going to change the system. So as Christians, if we start over again, it's not about 
starting from scratch. Why? Because we've lived a lot of years learning about our faith and learning what works. (sighs) This last year, what I have spent a lot of the time learning is what doesn't work. And learning what never worked, quite honestly. And learning that many times you have to be bold to shake people out of their sleep. How many times have those of us who are of a certain age (laughs) said, if I knew then what I know now, I, uh, like I said, I'm 58, and I feel like I am just now really hitting my stride when it comes to um, wisdom in life, being able to see the big picture, understanding what life is really all about and how everything fits together. Whole lot different than when I was in my 30s. I'm a different pastor. I see things differently, and I pastor differently than I did in 2002 when I first took, or 2000. 2002, yeah, when I first became the pastor of New Life. Things are very different for me as a pastor in the way I see things, in the way I approach things, in the way I deal with people. Why? Because over time I've learned and I've grown and I've gained wisdom and I've gained knowledge and understanding. So if I'm going to start things over again, I'm not starting from scratch. I've got a lot to build with. I've got the foundation of Jesus Christ to build on, And I've got a lot of tools in my toolbox to work with. Now, at my house, tools in my toolbox are simply something that other people can use when they come over to fix stuff, right? When Jonathan comes over to my house, we we bought a new stove, new wood, new pellet stove. God bless us. If you want to see a a blessing, go to my Facebook page and see what I wrote about our pellet stove that we got for like $750, brand new. There's a $1,500 stove. I paid full price online, went to pick it up at Lowe's. They wheeled it out and there's a sale sticker. I paid $1,500, Mark, online. Sale sticker on it, $791. I said, wait a minute. I want that price. Well, I'm not sure they'll give it to you. Then I want to return the one that I haven't even seen that I bought online and buy this one. And then because I'm a vet, they gave you a 10% military discount. So $750. I literally paid about half price. And it works well. But Jonathan came over to set that up for us. And Jonathan used, he had to buy some of his own tools because I don't have everything I need. But you're welcome to use my tools. They're just about brand new. <laughs> People give me tools. I'm like, can I have Oreos instead? Because like I'll use those. Anyway, we may need to scrap the paper and we may, to throw, need, may need to throw the plan in the trash. But we know what we've done. We know what we've learned and we know where we've failed. The key is to learn from our lessons and apply them to our task. We may be starting new, but we're not starting from scratch. We're beginning again from experience. C.S. Lewis said this, there are far, far better things ahead than what we are leaving behind. Two illustrations. Remember the story of Lot and Lot's wife who God, God preserved them from death 
by getting them out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Yet she could not leave her old life behind. And what happened? She turned into a pillar of salt. The Israelites, God brought them out of... It's not like God brought them out of one... They weren't, weren't moving out of the city into the suburbs. They were moving out of slavery and harshness where they were beat with whips because they had to make bricks all day long. And then build buildings for other people and go back and live in hovels. They were leaving slavery for a land of milk and honey. And because they could not leave Egypt behind, they wandered 40 years. And if you read the story of the, of the, the Israelites, you'll realize that those Israelites that left Egypt never saw the promised land because they complained. We're in danger of being those, those Israelites. Because God is promising us blessings and great things, but we cannot leave our old lives behind. We just can't do it. And for some of us, we can't leave our old church, policy, uh, church policies and, and actions and the way we used to do things. The last seven words of a dying church, we've never done it that way before. We can't leave that behind. Listen, folks, we need new. And not just new programs. We need new attitudes. We need new approaches. We need new cooperation. We need new unity, new life. We need new unity in this church. It has to be there. We've had a lot of people come in over the last two years, a lot of brand new people. Okay, I'm going to say it. We've had a lot of... Uh, we've had a lot of people whose skin is not... This color, that's white. Okay, just so you know, if I, if I, I, I won't do it because there are people in the front row. But if I were to pull my pant leg up, the light off of the ceiling, off of my legs into your eyes would blind you. My legs are so white. They are, t they're wh I think they're whiter than Zach and Zach is like paste. But over the last two years, we've had a lot of people who don't have white skin coming to this church. We need unity. We need a brand new unity in this church. Listen, I don't, and I, I say it a lot. I'm very proud, very proud of where I was born. Very proud. It was very unique growing up. No, I didn't know anybody that had been born in Puerto Rico. But now I see why God brought, because I didn't want to, can I tell you this? I'm, I'm off my message a little bit. Can I tell you this? When God called me, to come back to new life back in 2002, I didn't want to come here. This is my home church. I didn't want to come here. Because it was very, my father and I, as I love my dad. He's my hero. He's been my mentor. But my dad and my philosophy of ministry is very different. And I knew that if I was coming back, that there were going to have to be some changes that I made as I led the church because I have to lead. If God puts me in position of leadership, I have to lead with the philosophy that he's laid on my heart. And my father and mother have been amazing during these 18 and a half years because they have followed along with me as I've made changes that changed their, the, from the philosophy they had. And they've still served and ministered in this church. I've been amazing, uh, amazing testimonies of grace and being willing to change. But I realized, why God brought me back here. Not just because I was a son of new life, but because I'm a Puerto Rican by birth. And this region is filled with not just Puerto Ricans, but people from the Caribbean, Caribbean, however you want to say it. People of different skin tones. 
And there is an identification that some people will make with me simply because I was born in Puerto Rico. You realize there's a lot of Puerto Ricans around here that weren't born there? I'm natural, man. I'm I'm a native, brother. I'm a native. Come and visit my island. That's right. I'm a native. But God, and and it's always been a point of pride for me. I'm a proud Puerto Rican. And it's always been a point of pride. And it's always been a point of standing up and saying, you don't know what you're talking about when you say these kind of things about Puerto Rican people. You have no clue what you're talking about. And you need to shut up because I'm the pastor that will go to jail for punching you in the mouth. Just kidding. Just kidding. But that's the kind of church God has called us to be. A church that breaks barriers and tears down walls. Not just so that we can say, hey, look how diverse we are. But because there are people that are not being reached simply because of a, of a town line. Because East Long Meadow says you're not welcome. Well, I'm saying you are. I'm saying your family is. And I'm doggone sure that I'm going to do my dead level best to tear those walls down. Not so that we can be so, so diverse in our culture, but so that we can reach people with the gospel that are not being reached. And so that we can, yes, I'll use the term, we can empower people who are being pushed down by other churches saying you're not enough, you're not welcome, you're not worthy of being in God's blessed white church. And computers clicked off all over the new life zone. So if we bring these two concepts together, the fact that there are incredible cultural changes in society and that the church is, uh, and in the church going on and that we're commanded to be willing to change, stretch and grow, what do we come up with? What is the big idea? Quite simply, something has to give. There's no way that we can fulfill the mission that we've been called to effectively and to its greatest potential unless and until we're willing to finally get beyond our differences, our disagreements, our division, everything that stands between us and people determined to make changes to us and then live that change. We're not going to be able to reach this world. Hey, listen, it's not just white people. I know churches of color that would look sideways at me if I walked in and say, you're not welcome. That's just the fact of the matter. Because we are divided. Folks, that's not what the way, that's not the way it's supposed to be. I actually, I remember when I, when I preached that series on race, I talked about, uh, I, I gave you a quote that one pastor said, yes, we will be together in heaven, but that's not the way God intended it here on earth. Dude, you're just stupid. Okay, I'm sorry, I don't know any other way to say it. That's ridiculous. And if we are not willing to change, and not, and race is just the easiest, race is just the low-hanging fruit right now as an example. But if we're not willing <clears throat> to change our mentalities, our ideas, our ways of thinking, our ways of doing, If we're not willing to change those things, folks, we are not going to be able to reach people because this world has changed dramatically and we haven't. This world is totally different and requires a totally different mindset. And that different mindset, here's the crazy thing. That different mindset is the mindset Jesus has wanted us to have all along. It's not anything revolutionary. It's the basics of faith. 
We just now have to live it. We have to, we have to chuck out our old wineskin and allow him to renew us and start filling us again with his new wine so that we can grow and expand and reach people with the gospel. Fact of the matter is, we can win the battle with people, but lose the war for their soul. And that's the greatest loss of all. How do we do this? What is required of us? Where have things gone wrong for the church? Why is there such deep division, not just in the country, but also in the church universal as well in many local churches? We are, do you realize this? We're even divided on division. Seriously. We're divided on division. We are so messed up and dysfunctional in our thinking in churches. We are divided on division. It's, it's just insane. I was talking with, a, I, I have a friend, Brian Spicer, who pastors a church up near Boston. And he, as he does a Friday coffee, he does coffee with the pastor on Fridays at 1230. Bay State Baptist Church. Look it up. Brian and Sandy do a great job. And they always play, uh, after the devotion, they play um, uh, Family Feud. And you can type in answers. It's, uh, it's pretty cool. If, if getting those answers was cash, I'd win a lot. Uh, <laughs> but uh, Brian asked me to, to give the devotion on Friday. And it was pretty cool. I enjoyed it. But Brian and I were talking ahead of time uh, before it ever started. And we were talking about just this. And he's the one I got that from. So Brian, if you're watching, I'm quoting you. Brian said, John, we're even divided on division. And we are. It's insane. It's, it's insanity. And going back to what our worship leader said this morning, that's Satan's plan. And we're falling right into it. The fact, and in, in the fact that in spite of all this that is going on in the amazing and crazy times in which we're living, we are still confronted with the fact that Jesus commands that we preach the gospel to all creatures that command is still in force. How do we as believers in a church bridge that great chasm, bridge these distractions to ministry that exist for no other reason than to keep people from accepting Jesus? How do we do that? How do we do that? And we've got about just a couple more minutes and I just want to get into the first point because this has all been introduction and this has been introduction to the whole series, understand, because this is what we're going to be preaching for a while. Okay, new wineskins is what we're going to be preaching for a while. So this has all been introduction to what we're going to be talking about. So how do we do this? What, is, what, what, is, what are the steps that we need to take? What am I talking about? What's the big idea? When I was in Bible college, I don't know, Osvaldo, if, if they've talked about that when you were in your uh, homiletics classes preaching in, in Bible college. But I, my, my professor said, you always want to ask yourself, what's the big idea? for your message. And that's, that's my question what, that, I'm, that I'm presenting to myself and what I'm presenting to you. What's the big idea here? What are we talking about? What is it I'm trying to get across? I think to try to honestly understand the problem, we have to be willing to accept some very difficult truths about ourselves, our churches, and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's what I'm asking you to do over the next several weeks. I'm asking you to open up your hearts and your minds, put your anger aside, put your division aside, put your propensity to jump on everything that somebody says that you disagree with aside, and please open up your hearts and your minds and listen. 
Open up your hearts and minds and listen. If we get to the end of this and you say, you know, Pastor John, you're, you're, you're full of garbage here. I just disagree. Okay, that's between you and God. But what I'm asking for, this is something that I've prayed about for months. And it took the last two weeks to really solidify it all. And I really, I, I believe that God is trying to say something to us. Trying to help us understand that we are very dysfunctional and we've got to come to a, some admissions that things need to change. The first one is this. The first big problem is this. Too many of us have become saved and satisfied. We become saved and satisfied. That means I have Jesus in my heart. Eternal life is guaranteed for me. Rest of the world can go to hell for all I care. That's the way we live right now. Listen, if you argued, I'm going to say it too. If, we, if you argued more last year about a political election than you did about the gospel of Jesus Christ and the need for people to be saved, you're saved and satisfied. Because you thought that having the right president... Okay. You thought having the right president and, 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 and anyway, <laughs> you thought having the right president meant that God was going to smile on America and that everything was going to be well. Well, can I tell you, God has never smiled on America because of who the president is. He's never smiled in America because of who the president is. Yes, God may set up leaders, but that doesn't mean that, that, is, that, that, that those leaders are right with God. It's just not the truth. Okay? Too many of us have become saved and satisfied. We've become so heavenly minded. You know the old saying. We've become so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Right? We're so, some of us, let's go the other way. Some of us are so worldly minded that we've forgotten our eternal purpose. We become so worldly minded. That's what's happened in churches now. We become so worldly minded that we forgot our heavenly purpose. And our purpose is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Life is going to be difficult. Nobody wants to accept that nowadays. Nobody wants to accept the fact that Christians are going to endure persecution and struggle in this life. Preachers preach on, on, on the abundant life. Did you know that the abundant life does not mean you're going to be a millionaire? If that's the way it was, then a Christian would win the lottery every week. And, and I... The abundant life is the, in, the inner life, the life of fellowship with Christ, the life of personal blessing. And yes, those blessings are manifest. I feel like that, that wood stove that God gave to my family, I feel like that was a big Jesus kiss right on the head <laughs> for the year that my family personally had to endure last year. Because you know how much it should cost us to heat our house with electric heat for one month? $700. For $150 in wood pellets, I can heat my house without ever turning on the electric. <laughs> Thank you, God. The abundant life is not this ridiculous um, 
life that these pastors talk about that God doesn't want your wallet to be empty and your new car is on the way and your new home is on the way. That is blasphemy and that is ridiculous. The abundant life is the life of blessing and peace in your heart that while the world rages around you, you're in the middle of the storm in the fire with Jesus. And he's there keeping you safe and calm. We're told by Jesus that it would be tough. We're called warriors, right? We're called warriors. We're called conquerors. We're called overcomers. We've been given armor and a sword and told to prepare for battle in a war. These are the things, this is the language the Bible uses about us and our walk with the Lord. When was the last time you went to war for Jesus Christ? In your own life or outside? When was the last time you went to war? I had to do a funeral two weeks ago that just took everything out of me. It was, it was, it was brutal. It was a brutal funeral to have to do. And it was of a believer. But the circumstances that, are, that surrounded that death were amazingly tragic and just unexplainable. And for a week ahead, I was in prayer, doing battle in prayer. God, let me say what needs to be said to bring comfort to this family in the middle of something that never will make sense. Comfort to the comfortless. And then for two days after, I was just spent. Because the, the, war, the, the war that I waged in the spirit realm through prayer and, and personal, personal battle was exhausting. When was the last time you can say you did something like that? When was the last time you agonized over a soul that doesn't know Jesus as their savior? When was the, time, when was the last time you, you shut the TV off? Maybe put some worship music on or some, some Dino piano and had your devotions or deep Bible study. When was the last time you sat around with your children and read a Bible story or put your kids to bed to the story of David and Goliath or Jonah and the whale? Come on, man. That's war. That's the war we're supposed to wage. This language is indicative of a walk in, is not indicative of a walk in the park. It's indicative of difficulty. It's indicative of stress and fighting and warfare. Bible refers to God as our refuge our strong tower, our always present help in trouble. Jesus tells us that the promise of heaven that we read about in Revelation is that all war, all tears, pain, and death will be wiped away forever. We are told and we're warned that there is a war going on and we need to battle. What are you doing to fight it? We're going to stop right there today. Leave you with that thought. I hope it doesn't scare you away. <laughs> This message, I believe that Christians are hungry for this. I really do. I believe the, the fact that we have, that so many of us, our people have turned to politics. And may, Osvaldo, maybe you can relate to this and Zach as pastors. I believe the reason people have, have turned to politics, Christians have turned to politics, is because there hasn't been enough power in the pulpit. 
There hasn't been enough honesty. And it's, it's right here too, folks. I'll just tell you that. Okay, it's, it's right here. I'll be a liar if I'd say there were times where I said, well, I better, not, I better not go that far. And I've had to confess to, the Holy, to, to God for sin, for not prompt, following the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Well, those days are over. It's new. It's new. And I hope you'll be new too. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Thank you for your clear, unadulterated, unvarnished word. God, we are people in need, desperate need of you. God, we are people in desperate need of new. Would you fill us with your new? God, I pray that as we go from here, we've had something to think about, something to challenge us, Lord, and I pray that we will be challenged, and I pray that we'll make a difference. Bless us as we go. Bless the next service coming up. Bless those who have watched. God, may it challenge us to our core to be new for you. In your name we pray. Amen.